This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. And we have been looking at James 4.15, and I'm going to share some things with you tonight about God's will. Some things that you might not have ever known, maybe you have never heard, and I would encourage you to write some of these down. I think it will be a blessing to you. In James chapter 4 and verse number 15, the Bible says, For that you ought to say, if the Lord will. You've heard many people say, I say it often myself, the good Lord willing will do this or will do that. That's where that old saying comes from right here, for that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. That really is a testimony of recognizing our willingness to obey God. And I'm going to share with you a couple of other scriptures here and ask you to look last Wednesday night with me at the book of Acts. And if you'll turn there with me, I want to read for you, reread for you a passage of scripture that we had made reference of. In Acts chapter 18, I want you to look at verse number 21. I'm going to give you three passages of scripture for the beginning of the study tonight. We'll go to several others here in just a minute. But in Acts chapter 18, I want you to notice with me in verse 21. But bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem. But I will return unto you, or I will return again unto you. Look at this. If God will. In other words, the good Lord willing, if it's God's will. And he sailed from Ephesus. Now go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. And I want you to see this in chapter 4. In verse number 19, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 19, the word says, but I will come to you shortly. Again, you look at this, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. And then go with me to chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And notice with me verse 7. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 7. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit or the good Lord willing, if it's God's will. The, the point in those three verses is Wonderful believers of the faith and the early church put a great emphasis on God's will, seeking God's will. And I think that if it was good, you heard the old song, it, it was good for Paul and Silas, it's good enough for me. I believe that's true, that if it was good for these early believers to put a great emphasis on the will of God, it ought to be a mutual belief that we share with them that we also put a great emphasis 
on doing the will of God. So I want you to see another passage. Let's go back to the Old Testament for a minute. And I want you to see this in Psalms chapter 143. And I'm going to give you tonight five terms of God's will. And maybe you've heard of these before, and I'm going to explain them to you. I think this is good Wednesday night teaching material. But in Psalms chapter 143, the Bible says this, teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Thy spirit is good. Lead me into the land of uprightness. Five particular aspects of God's will. The first one I want to give you is God's perfect will. And I encourage you to write that down, God's perfect will. And the scripture that I want to give you for that is Romans chapter 12 and verse number two. We're talking about God's perfect will. In Romans chapter 12 and verse number two, the Bible says, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What is the perfect will of God? The perfect will of God is an affirmation of what he has degreed. And that's, that's the perfect will of God. For example, there are certain things about God that are set in stone and his perfect will is definitely set in stone. It would be like this. Things that God will definitely not change his mind on, that's his perfect will. For example, and and I don't have time to go into all kinds of illustrations and examples tonight, but I think I can give you one that will stick with you. And that's my goal. If you can think of God's perfect will, things that God absolutely will not change. And that, let's just talk about it for a moment, is the plan of salvation. It's the will of God that all come to repentance. And that's what the word teaches us, that all should come to repentance. That's his will. And he has a divine plan and he has a divine way for that to happen. I I heard, I told you a few weeks ago, there was a a leading uh, nationally known comedian that had just made a proclamation that there were many paths to God. And he said, um, you can try to get up the mountain from north, south, east, and west. And I mentioned that on a Sunday morning in passing. I heard another preacher, well-known, I'm not going to mention his name tonight because uh, some of you probably listen to him and I don't want to pop your bubble, but um, this is, it was really bad. This is what he said. And he was, by the way, he was also asked this question by Oprah Winfrey. I heard it this week with my own ears. And she asked him, 
basically the same question that was asked to the comedian. And she asked him, do you believe that there are more than one pathways to God? And this is what he said. He said, I believe Jesus is the pathway to God, but I believe there are many pathways to Jesus. Now you think about that. Either he's the way or he's not the way. And he said that he was the way. Now, we could and I could in that connotation of what he said. I I believe this, that there are going to be more people in heaven other than Baptists. I don't believe the Baptists have a monopoly on grace. So if he was saying that it's possible to be a Presbyterian, an Episcopalian, a Methodist, a Baptist, uh, you, you, can, you can be part of all. If, he, if, if that was what he was implying, I would say that's true because Baptist doesn't have a monopoly on grace. But I don't believe that's what he was suggesting. I really believe because of the connotation of the conversation, you had to listen to it very carefully. That's, it wasn't talking about denominations. It was talking about how does a person get to heaven? And I will tell you, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So how does a man get to heaven? He has to come through the Lord Jesus Christ. He has to come through the blood. There's only one way. And here's the thing about God's perfect will. God has perfectly designed salvation by his sovereign will. Because the Bible teaches us that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Before anything, God knew that when he spoke everything into existence and everything started to happen and everything started to bring forth and yield after its own kind, God knew it was going to be just a period of time before his human creation would sin and transgress in the garden. And God knew that he would have to send the prophets to declare the coming of the Messiah. God knew that Jesus would have to die on the cross. That has never never changed. The plan of salvation has always been in the manner in which it came forth, God's perfect will. So if you can remember that, it'll stick close in your mind, and I pray that it will. And and something else about God's perfect will is this, that God will not change his mind concerning his perfect will. Ephesians, let me give you that scripture real quick. Let's, Let's go there for a moment. The book of Ephesians. And I want you to see this tonight. In Ephesians chapter 1, And let's look at verse number three through six. Ephesians chapter one, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According, look at this, as he hath chosen us in him that cannot change. 
before the foundation of the world that we should be a holy, look at that, and without blame before him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself. Look at this. According to the good pleasure of his will. To the praise of the glory of his grace wherein he hath made us and accepted in the beloved. That can, that's God's perfect will. That cannot change. Then there is an element of God's will that's called his perceptive will. God's perceptive will. And God's perceptive will deals with the things expressed in the form and precepts that he has declared unto us, that he has given to us. For example, we know what God has spoken to us in reference to the things that we should not do and the things that we should do. For example, you, you could take even the Ten Commandments for a moment. We know that it's, it's not God's will that we commit murder, that we become thieves, that uh, we covet and those kind of things. We, we know that's not what God would bless or sanction, and we know that's not what he would want us to do. But also in his perceptive will, we know what he wants us to do. We can discern those things. And there's an Old Testament passage of scripture in, in the book of Micah. We don't reference that book often, maybe not as much as we should. And uh, let's go there tonight. In the Old Testament, uh, I, didn't, I didn't mark that scripture in my Bible. Right before the book of Nahum, I want you to see this in Micah chapter 6 and verse number 8. Okay, God's perceptive will. What he has declared, decreed unto us, we know what he doesn't want us to do and we know what he wants us to do. In Micah chapter 6, verse number, and that comes from reading the word. He has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? So in, in God's word, that's, that's how it's presented to us. We read God's word and we know what he wants us to do and we know what he doesn't want us to do. He has showed it to us. What is good and what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly before thy God. So that's, that's an element of God's will. Okay, we've talked about God's perfect will. We've talked about God's perceptive will. Now I want to talk about God's preferential will. And this is unique because this is what brings God pleasure. And what does not bring him pleasure. For example, God loves to show mercy. He loves to do that. We know that he is a good and gracious God, but he loves, he, it, it pleasures God when there are opportunities for him to show mercy. When we come to the things 
that, for example, when we come to places in life where the Bible doesn't specifically spell it out, maybe you've come across a certain circumstance that, like that in your life and you, you, you came across something and the Bible wasn't really clear on, on what you should do. God pleasures in this because when it's, when it's not clear, and there can be some things that you, you come, come across where the Bible is silent. When, it, when the Bible doesn't describe something to be sin and you wonder and you question, then we should do what we believe that will please God. When, whenever we come to a crossroad, this is the thing that really needs to tug us in the fork of the road. We sit back and we, we know a little bit about God. The Bible says Paul made the declaration that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. We know a little bit about God. We know what he likes, what he doesn't like. If there ever comes a point in time in, in your life when you've searched the scripture and the Bible you feel is silent. It doesn't spell it out like it does in many, many other cases. It doesn't say definitively whether or not this thing may be a sin or whether it's not a sin. For example, there are different things that could be a sin to me that may not be a sin to you. I'm going to clarify that. Because the Bible says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. There's differences between weights and sin. Sometimes I would categorize it like this, convictions or preferences. We may never match up on those particular things. For example, let me give you a real kooky one. This is really far out, way out stuff. But, you know, and, and I'm not saying that it's probably not healthy. I don't know. Um, but, but I know... Well, let me, let me tell you the story. I was invited uh, several years ago to preach a, a conference in Oklahoma City. And this was not long after Timothy McVeigh had bombed the federal building. So Oklahoma City was still in an uproar and they were building the memorial for the people and it was in that era. And I got invited to preach in a pastor's conference in Oklahoma City. And when I got there to preach, I didn't know anybody from Adam. No one. When I got there to preach, I, I listened to about three or four preachers. I was scheduled to preach on the second night. I had listened to three or four preachers and Man, they were, I told you last week about the guys that just preached on long hair, miniskirts, hold a hand, have babies. You, But th that was years ago. But when I got to this conference, they were, they were preaching on, uh, it was a sin to have a television in your house. And I immediately asked myself the question that I would like to have asked the guy preaching this stuff. Who has the greater victory in their life? Because he was declaring that people, if you got one of these uh, devil machines in your house, and I forget all the, the, the metaphors he used to describe it, but 
he was, he was saying that what you should do is you should just throw it off the mountain. And I got to thinking, because he really meant that. I got to thinking about this. Who has the greater victory in her life? The guy that loads his television up in the back of his pickup truck and drives it to a mountain and throws it off the cliff or the man who knows where the on and off button is? Who has the greater victory? And then they were preaching about if you play cards and if you do this, if you do... And I got to think, you know, that might be a conviction to that man, but he ought not to preach it as a definitive sin in the scripture. I've got a TV in my house. I've got a couple of them. I love to watch football, westerns, and mysteries. And believe me, it's not an idol to me. But some people make it an idol. Now, does the word says, say, thou shalt not have a TV in your hand? No, but you have to be disciplined. The man that has the greater victory in his life can control what he watches and sees. Some people can't do that. So when the Bible says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, some things may be, now, if, if the man can't control himself, then yeah, throw it off the mountain. Because the on and off button ain't going to make a bit of difference for you if you cannot control yourself. But it may not be a sin to me. If the Bible is, doesn't spell it out, then you step back from that and you say, what would God, how does God feel about this? What would God do? God would want me to use discernment. God would want me to use judgment, good judgment. And so that's the element in God's preferential will. That's number three. Let me give you number four real quick. And you have heard this probably more so than any of the others that I have mentioned outside of God's perfect will, and that is God's permissive will. God's permissive will is something that really is, um, we, we, we wonder about it. This is the element where we question God. God, why did you let this happen? Why did you do it this way? If it were me, God, I would have done it differently. And that's this. When God allows, and let me emphasize the word allow. When God allows, and I'm not saying condones, but when God, and there's a big difference in God allowing something and God condoning something or God condemning something. But when God allows, allows, what is not right. When God allows what is not good or when God allows what may be a sin to bring about his purpose or his will, for example, when Joseph's brothers threw him in the pit, God could have stopped that. God could have rerouted that whole episode but was it right for Joseph's brothers to throw him in the pit and to leave him for dead? Was it right for them to deceive their father with the coat of many colors saturated in blood? None of that was right, but God allowed it. God allowed, and that's why I say this is very, very sensitive. You have to be careful with it. I'm not suggesting that God condones sin. And there's a big difference, as I've mentioned many times, between God intervening and God interfering. But in this particular case, 
Joseph's brother, they, they left him in the pit. They deceived their father. Now, what was the plan of God? Why did God allow that? Because eventually God was going to bring the Israelites to Egypt where they would eventually be great in number and multiply in vast ways. It, it was through that episode, God incredibly blessed his people, but he allowed something that he did not condone. God wasn't going to say, yeah, you go ahead and deceive your father, more power to you. That's not what happened, but he allowed it to bring about his purpose. And I want to give you the last one real quick here. And that is God's directive will. And I want to show you two passages of scripture in the book of Acts about this. In Acts chapter 8, I want you to see this in verse number 26. God's directive will. And, and God's directive will involves his personal direction or his personal guidance in our lives. That's, that's very important. We, we should definitely be tuned in to God's directive will. In Acts chapter 8, verse number 26, the words, and look at this very carefully. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. So here God was moving the great evangelist and he was directing him through the Holy Spirit. And then let me show you another one, almost a carbon copy of this in Acts chapter 16. And I want you to see verses six through 10. And this is pertaining to the Macedonian call of the Apostle Paul. But look at this now in Acts chapter 16, verse 6. Now, when they had gone throughout Perga and the region of Galata and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysa, they essayed to go into Bethnia. Look at this. But that's what they wanted to do. But the Spirit suffered them not. And they passing by Mysa came down to Troas and a vision appeared to Paul in the night and there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel to them. This is God's directive will. So when we think about James chapter four and verse number 15, doing the will of God, for that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. These are five components of God's will. And, and we very seldom mention those or reference in those. Let me, I've got about four minutes here. I want to give you something else real quick because I think there are a couple of real good components when we're thinking about God's will. Three characteristics of God's plan for our lives. Number one, it's a personal plan. 
God works in all of our lives collectively, but God also works in our lives on a personal basis. Not everybody's a preacher. Not everybody's a missionary. Not everybody's a singer. Not everybody's a musician. But God gives these special gifts to diversify in the church to make or help or to equip the church, to equip the child of God, equip the saints, to help it perform the work and the will of God. So it's very clear, not everybody can teach, not everybody can sing, not everybody can play these instruments. So God's will for our lives, the characteristics of God's plan for our lives, number one, it's a personal plan. Then number two, if you're writing this down, I want you to know that it's a perfect plan. I've already referenced Romans chapter 12 and verse number two, but that verse of scripture says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And so we understand God's plan, God's will for our life. It's a perfect plan. It's a personal plan. He's the potter, we're the clay, and he's not going to mold us to do anything that we are not designed to do that we present ourselves unto God a reasonable sacrifice. God is not ever going to ask you, require of you, to call you to do anything that he will not equip you to do. And then number three, and I will close with this tonight. It's also a practical plan. So when you're searching God's will, and we ought to pray if God wills, we have to know a little bit about his will. But it's a practical plan. It's not only something that sounds good, but it will prove itself to be good in the experiences of our life. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.